I, have you guys looked at the Pokemon Go set at all? Yeah, I have. I, I think it's pretty good. I think it, like it being a world set, I think it, it definitely will shake up the format. Like think, just enough, right? Like just enough. Yeah, like Mewtwo is viable-ish at the very least. I think like the Incubator card is viable-ish. All the Radiants are very good. I think all of the Radiants will see play um, in some form. Like maybe not in great decks, but like I saw, I've seen like a, saw it a week or two ago. I don't remember. Um, but just it was just a Regigigas or not uh, a Reggie list um, that just like had the Charizard in it, and like that seems fine to me. Like I, you know, I guess. Well, I, I see that. All yeah, right. just like you've got you've got all the colored energy, all the the wild card energies, and you just like whack for two eighty at some point in the game, something like that. Yeah. Um, and yeah, because you have enough nets and things, and the probability is probably pretty low to start with it. So like, I don't think it will ruin your game. Whether it does anything for that deck, sort of at the end of the day, I'm not sure. It's in my repertoire. Every single bar is hard, spitting fire like I'm the human version of Taurus Welcome to the Trash Land. Uh, it's everybody's favorite Pokemon podcast. We got the whole crew together. It's uh, Mike Shea, Brent Pivas, me, Brent Halliburton. My son, Liam Halliburton, is sitting in as well. <laughs> Don't act like you're not here. So, so it's uh, 133%. Uh, we missed last week because... Uh, as many people at NAIC must no doubt have noted, uh, Mike got the COVID. Yep, <clears throat> got the COVID, couldn't make it, but feeling a little bit better. Excited to do the podcast. I watched almost every single minute of the stream because what else was I going to do when I was sick? Um, so I can at least provide that perspective. <laughs> That's fantastic. I, I watched just a little bit of the stream. I was traveling from Milwaukee down to uh columbus brit was having to jam in a quick work week in between so things were hectic we thought we were going to make it happen if if the COVID had not happened we would have figured out how to make it happen but but mike gave us a good excuse to to take the week off and spend the week testing instead we're going to talk about milwaukee we're going to talk about naic we're going to talk a little probably i guess about the implications for worlds um but uh, uh let's dive in and talk about milwaukee guys i think what's interesting at a hundred thousand feet is Milwaukee seemed weird and then NAIC seemed normal more or less in terms of like looking at the winners (laughs) that's true so actually kind of going off that my first one of my first questions to you guys was going to be the metagame from a spectator's standpoint of NAIC seemed very streamlined a lot of Palkia a lot of Arceus and Talion good amount of Mew and not that much else was that an accurate portrayal of what people were playing or was it just that those are all the decks that did well and all of the other stuff did poorly and that's why I didn't see it or a little bit of both (laughs) yeah I would say a little bit of both or at least you know maybe somewhat expectedly that the the NAIC metagame was like a lot more centralized than Milwaukee so people like ah maybe Palkia is good maybe Palkia is bad I mean a a problem I personally ran into in Milwaukee and I I don't I didn't need to acquire cards for NAIC but just like none of the vendors had anything in Milwaukee and I, I think that just is you know largely just a part of the supply demand they're just not printing enough cards compared to what people are buying but like I, I couldn't find Aritas I couldn't find Palkia like every single vendor was out of like anything relevant uh um, Palkia like people were it was like Cabbage Patch Kids trying to get Palkia V stars in Milwaukee like if if somebody said that, that they had a Palkia V star for sale 
it was like all out war. People were trying to get those Palkia V stars so bad. It was crazy. Yeah, I was like, do you, do you remember Mikey at 2011 Nats? I don't know, like Yen Mega. Everyone needed a Yen Mega. It yeah, was yeah, like, yeah. It was selling hotcakes. Learned that. Okay, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Was that was it better at NAIC? Easier to. I just I, I didn't run into it because I wasn't trying to track down cards. I I would guess maybe. I mean, at the very least, there's more people, a lot more people at NAIC, so your avenues to finding cards are probably a little more reliable. Um. But yeah, I just like, I think that there's just a general problem with the supply chain. And I think even too, that like, this is something I learned, I think in my frustration, I was like, why do none of the vendors have cards? If I were a vendor, I would have, you know, I would have gambled and I would be here with 800 Palkias, even, you know, even if I paid more than I probably should have. But I guess, I guess vendors at events like really don't make a lot of money on selling. They're there to, they're there to buy, buy up your cards. Everyone's selling out, selling out their sorrows for doing poorly and then flipping on what they're buying for more than they're at regionals to make a profit. Or at least anecdotally, this is what people explained to me. And I was like, oh, that, that makes sense. You know, I didn't really question it. But yeah. I, the, so the only experience I had, I, we tried to buy Palkias. We, I mean, there were like a couple of cards that we bought. We tried to buy some Palkias and failed in Milwaukee. And then after the event, we were able to find a vendor that had some B stars and we hoovered those up in anticipation of NAIC. And then we got to NAIC. I'm sure we're going to talk about this a lot. Britt put us on Mewtwo V Union. And I was like, okay, that's a card that no vendor is going to have. Cause like, <laughs> that's an insane card. So I was assuming that I was going to the vendors looking for the box, thinking I'm going to have to buy the, the set or whatever that like the Mewtwo V Union came in. And I was like, Surely one vendor will have it. And I went to all the vendors and none of them had the box, but one of them had like one set of the cards. And we hoovered those up like a day before the tournament. <laughs> and I don't know if other people tried to buy Mewtwo V unions, but but I assume you, you'll only hear Tales of Sorrow in that regard because I tried to do that. And, and you know, Liam in his infinite wisdom today uh, expressed regret that we did not jump on the PTCGO and start arbitraging U2V Union the day before the tournament. Mm -hmm. That really, really, it was a absolute goldmine opportunity <laughs> that, that we missed out on because I know everybody's saying that PTCGO is unbearable right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. That's definitely been an interesting sort of uh, aftermath of the event. There's like less, <laughs> you know, like the, the decks that really did well are not terribly surprising. Like the, the, uh, like Raul, John Ang, Isaiah, like their their group really just like kind of improved from towards list, like more or less, I think, kind of just like a direct iteration on that. I um, mean, then Azul played the same thing the week before, like, you know, people knew about Flying Pikachu already. And so, yeah, it's just, it wasn't terribly interesting what did well. It just happened to be a V Union deck um, that everyone is interested in now. And yeah, I've just seen lots of good sort of comments and tweets about like how the ladder is just hard now because people are just jamming that deck for fun more than anything <laughs> you know all, all the content creators got to get their video in with it you know things like i saw someone tweet i think it was chris franco he was like i'm gonna take a break from playing ladder while people get this out of their system <laughs> <laughs> exactly exactly yeah. seems, seems insane um so uh i think if we had tried to record this pod last week i, I would have said uh blissey and uh, duraladon you know new meta and you guys probably would have said, no, probably not. Yeah. Um, 
a- any reaction? I'm sure you watched some of that stream too, uh, uh, as you like became sick or something like that. Mike. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. I did watch. Well, so I think one of the reactions that probably led to people being less interested in those decks is it's really easy to play Starmie in Palkia or Arceus and Teleon and improve your matchups against those two decks, Blissey and Arceus Duraldon significantly. And we saw a lot of people play Starmie at NAIC in both of those decks. Um, so I think probably there was kind of a compounding effect there. People that were considering Blissey and Arc Duraldon realized very quickly in their testing leading up to NAIC that Starmie makes a big difference in those matchups. And then they were put off a little bit because of that fact. And then for the people that still did play it, people literally did play Starmie. And then they kind of probably got bopped because of that. So uh, yeah, I feel like that is probably a pretty big contributor um, to the downfall of those decks. Yeah, you know, my my like super top level read coming out of Milwaukee was people were, weren't going to pick up and start playing uh, Duraludon, but but some people would pick up Blissey because when you watch the stream, Blissey just looked super fun to play. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree. And uh, Connor's list was leagues better than every other Blissey list that we saw. Um, the, the RCS Duraludon list was good it was fine but it wasn't like that much different from other iterations that we've seen before but connor's list was like a lot different than what the standard blissey was um so yeah i am a little surprised as well that we didn't see a bit more blissey uh i the only blissey that i know of even that made day two was aaron tarbell oh yeah yeah he played it in milwaukee and just uh i think kind of fizzled at the end like had an okay start and just didn't didn't quite convert into day two but yeah like i had i had another friend that made day two in milwaukee with Blissey, and they did real bad at an aic just like um they like they weren't playing tornadoes but that's just kind of like all they changed and yeah, yeah it was definitely like even too like like Luke Morse's deck list, for instance, like you don't ever see, really see, or people certainly weren't talking about Starmie in RCS and Talion, but it's like a pretty good inclusion, especially in there. Like people probably aren't going to see it coming if you can keep it hidden. Yeah. Well, and there is a significant amount um, of Starmie and RCS and Talion just on the stream. Like I think, um, I'm pretty sure Tanner Hurley played it. I think mm, that might not be right. But I saw at least two or three people he just did. on stream. Yeah, he did. Okay, okay, yeah. And there was at least one other person. Oh, um, Cal Connor, because he started one of the games with the Starmie, and it was pretty funny because, like, if his opponent didn't know he was playing RCS and Talion, he didn't know until like turn two or three that that's actually what it was. Um, so like, I saw a number of people on stream playing it, so I can imagine it was at least a fairly popular tech in the field. Yeah, well, and it only takes it only takes like I mean, if you have two of your nine games, people suddenly tech for it. Like, right. you go from six two one to you know four four one drop, okay. right? And you're like, this was a terrible tournament, right? Yeah, um, it, doesn't take, it doesn't take a huge swing to push people out. Yeah, one of the big, somewhat surprising to me is the amount of Arceus and Teleon that I saw and what, it, cause it seems like that was very 
close. I mean, Palkia was clearly the most popular deck, but Arceus and Talion felt like a very close second. Um, and that's very surprising. That's that's probably the biggest difference between Milwaukee and NEIC. Um, and like, I knew Arceus and Talion was a good deck. Uh, I think it has a fine Palkia matchup if you play it correctly um, and whatnot. It has like a great Reggie matchup. It can be played pretty well against all the random stuff. Its new matchup is okay with Roxanne Path. Um, the one indicator that I saw that RCS and Tanya was going to be significantly more popular was there was one large online event the week before NAIC, one of the late nights. And RCS and Talion was the most popular deck in that event. And so when yeah, I we- saw that, I was like, huh. Okay. A lot yeah, of we were looking at that data really closely and we're just like, this is looking really good. Like, <laughs> they were, they were the, the like last two big online events were all Palkia and Teleon and all Arceus and Teleon. And I was just like, I, I was just like, you know, we can't, we you know we can't draw too strong of conclusions from this, but I was like, I, you know, I referenced some other stuff and it's like, after you, I see like, um, Whimsicott went, went way up and things like that. And so there's just like, there are, there are occasional trends that I think are at least, uh, somewhat um, useful in making predictions in IRL, even though it's, you know, strictly online. Um, at the very least, I think even, you know, even if it doesn't um, end up being anything, I think it can gauge, you know, not like, you know, strong enough to make a prediction with statistically, but it, I think it gauges like player sentiments as well, at the very least, like mm-hmm. you see what's going on. I guess even the, the last part of that story too, is I think in one of these events, like Arceus Mewtwo V got top four, and we were also just like, wait, <laughs> they're on to us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I thought that I think it's it's really interesting that this online event was actually a much better indicator of the metagame for NAIC than Milwaukee was, which is cool. Um yeah. Yeah. All right, great. I, I think I think your assessment of of how the metagame centralized is is pretty accurate. Like, uh, I mean, I, I think one of the things that surprised all of us is like Reggie kind of went away completely. Yeah, which was strange. Um, uh, some of the RCS Intelligent, you know, Liam and I talked about it the during that that uh, middle week. Um, we had kind of theory mined up a deck very similar to what Regan Retzloff ended up playing, where yeah. like. You know, is, is should you bring Beedrill back? Because Beedrill's obviously a really hard counter to some chunk of the metagame. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, God forbid people are going to pick up Blissey. It doesn't yeah. take a whole lot to body that up, right? Yeah. I had also um, made a Arceus Beedrill lightning list. I didn't have Flying Pikachu. I had Zero or Raikou. But yeah, I think that deck totally made sense for the event. Yeah, yeah, like it doesn't take a whole lot of cards to kind of be able to play that because, uh, you know, once you are CSV star, you can do whatever you want. Yeah, <laughs> that's what Ian Rob played as well. Yeah, yeah, that's, uh, yeah, I recognize there was a, a part of the whole, uh, um, whatever that group is called. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sam ended up playing it. He, uh, he called me the day before because I was talking to Xander Perot about Diaga, and that's mm-hmm. what Xander ended up playing. Um, and Sam called me, he's like, should I play this deck? And I was like, well, you know, I I personally wouldn't want to play an Inteleon deck because I'm too scared of tying too much because, you know, that's what happened to me at New Jersey. And he's like, yeah, 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 okay, okay, okay. Then he ends up playing this and he he starts the tournament one zero three. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> this is what I'm talking about, man. You got to be so confident if you're playing Inteleon. Um, 
yeah it's just funny yeah I, I think i ran into sam at one one and three so. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the best tables the best tables yeah uh um yeah, you know, I think Dialga is another one where Liam played Dialga in Milwaukee and like Dialga basically nowhere to be found. So, yeah. uh, you know, uh, as you said, I think there were a lot of decks that didn't do well in Milwaukee and people were off of them. And then the the weird stuff that did well in Milwaukee, I think people people felt like they were going to be countered. Mm-hmm. And the result was only the, you know, three or four kind of acknowledged best decks in the game ended up showing up, right? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, if Grant Manley plays a super meta deck, everybody's playing super meta deck. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's true. We we talked to Grant several times, both before Milwaukee and before NAIC, and and every time he's like, "Well, I tried, I tried to figure out blah 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 blah, but didn't work out." Yep. <laughs> um. Uh, yeah, the fact that he played Palkia in Milwaukee and then RC Centelion, uh, uh, and NAIC just goes to show. Apparently, there's no tricks. Yeah. Okay, before we get into Mewtwo View Union, that is actually one other point that I feel like is really, really interesting, is that is is Palkia, and that how so many different groups of incredible players all ended up on Palkia. Um, and, you know, their lists were still different. They're starting to converge into uh, a heavier Arita package, but, you know, even so... John and Isaiah and Bokari played four Arita, four VIP pass. Everyone else kind of ran four Arita, one VIP pass, other stuff and, and whatnot. Um, but I think it's, I just think it's so interesting. Like Gustavo played it, who's kind of separate from a lot of the other groups. Tord and Pedro played it, that group. The, we know Bradner and John played it. Um, the Australians played it. Like there's so many different groups of incredible players that all just decided that Palkia is just so far and away the best deck, even though everybody knows it, that they should just play it, which I think is not that good. It, it doesn't speak that highly of our format, if that's the case, at least from my perspective. Yeah, I mean, I've thought about this a lot, and obviously kind of the biggest, I think one of the biggest parts of Palkia is it's like like the RCS Intellian matchup, and, you know, just go watch the seniors finals. It's like an interesting dynamic where like, like I, I feel like the RCS Intellion is maybe favored, but you know, you just never know how, how much, how, you know, much Palkia can really just blow you out of the water. Yeah. And so like, one of the things I've thought a lot about is like, you know, again, you know, I don't think these sort of labels are terribly useful um, within Pokemon, but sometimes it can be, it can be neat to draw from and so palkia is just like such a like mid-range deck to me mm-hmm. and that like it, even even more so it's like sometimes and you know look at the history of hearthstone sometimes like the mid-range decks also have like are very very aggressive in their first two turns like such that they're like can beat aggro at their own game sometimes and don't even need to go into the mid-range but I, and i think that's what palkia is is that it just like it clearly has like the best like turn one and two of like every deck in the format i think like and again i think you can argue against that obviously like turn to rcs vstar search you know double computer search is hard to beat but as as the the way the format has developed um you know not to say this that's not a powerful play but we've just kind of moved past where rcs was so much about 
goon belt KO boss, like on and as kind of a lot of a big part of of their turn two plan. And they're playing more of a controlly kind of let me stabilize and then I'll do my thing um with Sharon's Sharon's care and things like that but and that's just why I think Palkia is so strong is that it's just like it's going to pop off on you on the second turn like basically no matter what like I forget who who tweeted it but there's a good you know Arita really just says do anything with (laughs) in an Inteleon engine right like it's just like go get three cards go get the three cards you need right now like with searching for the item and then say the stage two shady dealings or something like that um and yeah there's just obviously a lot of power there and so just like whether that's like a really big tempo greninja or just like also doing the the turn two like boss ko palkia is just so kind of like reliable with that you know it's a lot of moving pieces um with things like bucket like you know if, if they didn't have bucket and only had energy search like that would be a big deal so there's, there's a lot of things that i i think or why Palkia is this good. But like, I, I think it's just that, is that it's just, it's gonna do, it's just gonna be so a little bit stronger than I think Arceus is on like the second and third turn. And like, hopefully that's enough, um, you know, or hopefully just like if they get into the chairs loop, you can kind of, you can do something else just to still have a chance at winning the game. Um, and then I think, uh, you know, on a more general point, something we've talked about a lot is that like with, I guess, potentially the exception of the card that Liam made use of, like, the lightning Pokemon just kind of stink. Like, I, I don't, I don't think the lightning counter boxes ever really went anywhere, like for good reason. Um, and even too, like the tool jammer doesn't seem as relevant in Palkia lists as, as it was. Um, and that's just, again, just like, ah, it's just like, I guess if they play the lightning, I'm, they'll just beat me. But like, it's just like a lot that they need and Palkia again is just going to be so fast that it may just not matter, you know, you know, take something like Raikou, it just like almost doesn't matter that it trades into Palkia because Palkia is just going to hit it and kill it too. And the prize, the prizes will be the same or just like now Palkia is ahead again, if were they to be the ones who took the first knockout. Yeah. Um, so two, two points. One immediately from that is I found in testing that the straight Arceus Inteleon just had a better Palkia matchup than if you tried to play lightning things because your strategy was just have your Arceus V-Star active, have an Arceus bench and one Sobble Drizile bench, and then you would, you know, Sharon's Care loop. And that was just a more effective way to battle Palkia and stave off their aggressiveness than trying to Oko them at various times, which I thought was really funny. Um, and it seems like most people also kind of came to that conclusion too, because straight Arceus and Talion just did quite well. Um, the second funny thing about Palkia from watching the stream, there wasn't a ton of Palkia mirrors streamed, maybe like three, three, maybe four. I'd have to go back and look, but I have no idea how the Palkia mirror, mirror plays out if both people draw well. From any of those games, every single one was decided on someone drawing very poorly. So I thought that was really weird. <laughs> I, I, I love it. It tells you a lot about uh, the metagame composition when you're like, I didn't see a whole lot of Palkia Mirror, just like three or four games. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so much Palkia Mirror. That, yeah. I mean, and, but, but like, you're absolutely right. When I, I'm sure when the casters were picking the stream game, they were like, well, there's hundreds of Palkia mirrors going on right now. <laughs> yeah. So we should try to pick the not Palkia mirrors because top eight is just going to be Palkia mirrors, people. Yeah. It was, it's insane though. I was like, I was so hyped for Gustavo versus Isaiah in top eight because 
I mean, I really wanted to see the the union or, or another matchup, but once once they were picked, it was I was like, okay, cool. I got two really good players. I'm gonna learn how the Palkimir really plays out. And then Isaiah like dead draws the first game, Gustavo dead draws the other two games. I'm like, what the heck? <laughs> like, um, and part of the dead draw is like the player that's slightly ahead knowing to path to the peak and then like you just completely shut off your opponent's draw engine uh, and whatever chance they have making it you know making a comeback into the game but still Liam do you have any opinions on the Palkimir I know you played a lot of Palkimir games with Caden right no is it just who goes first Uh, (laughs) like I think yeah when you when you go first it's like really difficult to like um how do I say yeah like manage getting two Palkia down so that they don't like cross switch or KO turn two getting Manaphy down so you don't get Radiant Greninja and and still like set up Sobbles where you can just lose and then like if none of that happens or like if it doesn't all happen and then you also have to try and keep your bench skinny so you don't get one hit right (laughs) but like yeah managing all of that is like very difficult I you know the one thing I would say that I thought was interesting was um if you think about where uh uh, the Palkia list was in Melbourne. One way people tried to fix that problem was they were playing the Suicune. And uh, uh, the, the I felt like um, even though there was like diversity, there was a little more like uh, regression to the mean and vanilliness of Palkia lists come in AIC. And, and like uh, we tested the Suicune deck uh, a fair bit. Like, if you decide, hey, I want to go with the Suicune, it's really hard. Yeah, You need so many pieces, and you're like, oh, and also I need this one of Pokemon. So yeah. we're going to have to ball for it. Like, it just turns out there's, like, it, it's adding an extra moving part. And, like, theoretically, if you get there, that's great. But it's a low hit point two prizer. And, and if you don't quite get the numbers, all of a sudden you're like, why did I do all that? Well, and additionally... We saw this on stream a couple of times. The basic Palkia can take V knockouts without too much difficulty as well. And so that's pretty, that can be pretty strong um, and can do what Suicune does at least a good chunk of the time. Yeah. Yeah. But, but the result is uh, um, the, the idea of attacking turn one going second in calculus kind of went away because people weren't playing right. Suicune. Right, 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 right. Yeah, right. Uh, interesting. Um, what else should we talk about? Or should we jump into talking about Brit and his life? Yeah, I could just yeah. get to storytelling, I guess. Um, yeah, yeah. So Brit, Brit played the best deck at the tournament, people. <laughs> yeah, and I guess I'll, you know, I guess it's probably best to start with a qualifier. I'm going to use the word we a lot, but I personally did not really contribute a terrible, uh, terrible much uh, to the stack. It was interesting. Like, it actually seems like they, they just kind of solved it on the first draft, um, which is, which is, I think, maybe an interesting part of the story. But at the very least, I, I was mostly in, involved because I'm good friends with Mace and like, have built decks with him for years, was staying with them, you know, which is awesome. I, I just sort of really had a phenomenal time at NAIC. I uh, did not enjoy Columbus. Columbus was a little sus this year, um, mm-hmm. but um, in general, it was very good energy. I love the Poker Center. Um, staff seemed great. Like the COVID check was just better than 
regionals, I guess, expectedly. Like, all the stuff was just really well handled. Um, but anyways, yeah. So um, I guess the, to start the story is that we were, they um, being, I don't know, I don't quite um, have a good sense of when the, um, like, Mace and Sander alliance was formed. Um, I don't think they've really worked on decks much this season, but um they've just been working on a lot of control concepts, I guess. And um, I guess being from, you know, both being from the Netherlands and things like that, and also just like having an interest in like playing off meta decks. Um, There's just like a obvious like things in common and being able to meeting Sander for the first time and kind of just being able to hear him talk about his own just like thought process around cards and things like that is was very interesting. Definitely, I think. Um, you know, surely he will be on a lot of podcasts in the coming weeks. You you check him out there. Um, and I'm, I'm sure you will be similarly informed. But yeah, and so like, just like any deck or any of these control decks or even kind of the same story with Frank and Whimsicott, um, it was just, look, you know, looking at the format very, very particularly and being like, what, like, where is a, like a common weakness or two? What is something that like all these decks are doing at once that maybe I can prey on? Um, and so initially the deck that they were working on, and this one I actually tested a fair amount and it, it, it went through more iterations, I think, than um, the Mewtwo V Union deck did. Um, but we're similarly just kind of building kind of like a lot like Alexander's usual control decks, like not necessarily, um, you know, the super share a loop stuff, but more just kind of like War of Attrition's with Galar Mines and things like that. And so kind of where the, the deck was initially was, um, or at least the, the hotness they had found on top of this, just the kind of like usual disruption um, I guess before I even say that, Miltank is like was kind of the build around for both both this control deck and and the Mewtwo. Just clearly seeing um, that certain decks, not only you know not just not necessarily that they just weren't bringing the right Mewtwo counters, but like certain decks just really don't have access to good ones. And I think like Dark 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 Rye is a good example of that. Like and so like on paper you would think that like. We'd, we'd have a bad dark cry matchup or something like that. Like the Mewtwo is weak to dark. Um, you know, baby Moltres is so good, blah, blah, blah. Like, how don't that, why, don't, why doesn't that deck have a good answer? Um, but like, the thing is with a control deck, you, you don't take prizes. So like the Moltreses never go online. Hoopa's really pretty bad because you, you know, you spend resources to, to attack with it any turn and it doesn't even kill the mill tank. So, um, and things like that. And, you know, a lot of decks, you know, they could bring Cologne, which we just didn't think they would. And so Cologne, and so like Frank at this event, for instance, was playing like an Ice Rider with Silene and Cologne. And I was just like, oh, that's going to beat us really badly. I hope we don't, I don't hope we don't play him. <laughs> but in general, like, and so like we played like Mace and Sander, uh, not Sander, but Xander played on stream. Um, and that was an instance of just like, it wouldn't have even mattered if they played one Cologne. It still would have been a good matchup. But yeah, so back back to the the sort of initial control deck is like more Pico. There's a more Pico with Torment that um, was the the rest of the build around. I would say like there's other other little ingredients like you know we they had found that against Regigigas like if you just if you played Collapse Stadium and the Psychic Energy and Shadow Rider V, they just scoop you. They can't do anything to that play. There's no like at least in the way the lists are currently constructed. If you got that down, then Reggie's would just be done. And so, you know, with the chaos wheel effect, they all of their energies can't be attached and you've locked them out of being able to attach energy with 
um, Reggie Gigas. And so like, obviously some other stuff have to go in that, like it doesn't quite work in a normal deck. You either have to like play it with a KO or in a control deck, you have Flannery or something like that to ensure that like the pre-existing energies on board don't foil you. Um, but so with Morpico with Torment um, is really good, or at least in theory was very good because, um, you know, most of these Vs really only have one attack. And not only did they only have one attack, but they're not playing a lot of switching cards right now. Like switches are fairly uncommon. There's a lot of just manual retreating through, you know, the extra energy that you get on board with Palkia and things like that. Um, and so it was just a general mill deck, like a war of attrition. I'm going to frustrate you while playing Galar Mine and lots of bosses and hopefully just to run you out. And I guess also like, interestingly, you'd think like, oh, more Pico's lightning. It'll be really good against Palkia, but you, the key is that double turbo made it do no damage. So you would, you would never like accidentally progress the board state or like let them like kill something and they would be able to, you know, fi finally able to respond with what they needed. Um, and so there's that. And then also too, I think you end up like Cheryl looping at the end with Elder Goss in certain matchups as well, as well as clearly having found that, you know, Silene as being a big ingredient in, um, you know, the play pattern of I'm never going to deck out, but I will guarantee that you deck out. And so I think, and then for the story from there is just that, like, I think we were, that deck was like fine. And even interestingly enough, uh, Alex Co Coach, I, I'm not sure how to pronounce his name, um, from like Eastern Washington, from Spokane, did actually, okay, decently with something that, with more Pico, something like fairly similar. It was more Pico, Miltank, Celebrations, Evital. Um, but that deck, they were kind of stumped. They just didn't think, I don't, don't think they were ever really able to get comfortable with um Inteleon matchups and obviously going into Nats, like I don't think you can lose to an Inteleon deck. So they're just starting to look for other things. And um they like Stonejourner was like an obvious thing. And so they, you know, similarly just like something that heals, but just like they Stonejourner just isn't very good at the end of the day. Um and just like there was no way I, I don't think to like make that work. And so like they looked at it and I think just said like, this is a terrible idea, but the, the, the core idea, or at least what they're aiming for is well-intended in the sort of heal effect. And I think they just, the Mies from there just like gets on Limitless, you know, on the really good search engine and just looks up every card that can heal. And they find, they find the Mewtwo. Um, and from there it's just like, okay, this card, you know, this mechanic is terrible. Can we make it work? Can we find a way to make it work? And they just did. Um, with the more or less what we saw um, over the weekend. And um, really only a handful of cards changed from the initial draft. And I, you know, I didn't get to be a part of the testing until I showed up to Columbus. Um, but they had gotten, they had gotten into Mace and uh, David, David Rudhoff, uh, just another Dutch player who I stayed with as well. And just like doing a lot of testing and just like changed a few cards, but like the core idea of just like, we're going to burn through our deck and we're going to get Mewtwo out um, came along pretty quickly. And it just like, they quickly saw how easy, how good of uh, Palkia and Teleon and Arceus and Teleon matchups it had. And just like ironed out, ironed out a handful of kinks from there. And like did a lot of play testing against uh, Dean, who of course went on to play the deck and got top 32. And Dean was really into Mew at first. Um, and that was like kind of a shaky matchup, but they just like played it and played it and played it and like edited the deck a couple times. Um, in fact, like the reason we play Rose Tower is just from we were testing, they were testing against so much Mew and just kept using the Rose Tower. And so it's like, maybe we should just play this ourselves. <laughs> um, 
And yeah, so I guess for those of you who didn't pay too much attention over the weekend or just like don't know how the deck works still, is that it's really very simple. It's uh, in a lot of ways, it's just a solitaire deck. Um, you just burn through your deck until you get Mewtwo with two energy in the discard. And then ideally from there, you just need to um, understand and like a lot of cards are really important. And so you, you probably play like Peonia, both Peonias like almost every game, like not even necessarily because um, the combo itself needs a lot of things, but just like it's helpful to just like be arranging your deck in that way. And so in, in some ways the Peonia ends up kind of being a mill effect. You can put cards in your prizes that you don't need anymore while making sure to take other ones. But you just you Snorlax, Gormandize for as many cards as possible almost every turn and eventually get your done to your deck to just like Palpad, Silene, and Yelchir. And so like the, the loop then is that um, Yelchir puts Silene's back, Palpad puts Yelchir back, and um, Silene puts Palpad back. And just you, you do that, you you know ideally like it really takes a lot of tails for this to not work you really really have to get super unlucky assuming like assuming you've manipulated your deck in the right way um and that was definitely something like i was doing i it took me a while to really get the um you know to really understand okay like what cards do i have to have in my deck at all times answering those sorts of questions um but yeah like on paper it just like against Arceus and Palkia. They just don't do enough damage to ever push you, to pressure you to the point where healing 200 a turn isn't just enough and you deck them out. Um, and like some things, like you need the tool jammer in certain instances, but obviously Palkia is so like, as, as the opposing player, its damage is very easy to mani manipulate. So like when you have no Pokemon in play, but the Mewtwo and maybe even a tool jammer, it's just, it just isn't doing anything. And there's, there's nothing else in the deck that really can do anything. And like Starmie, Starmie doesn't really do anything either. It doesn't, it's usually not enough. It can be in certain scenarios. I know, I know Mace lost, Mace lost to one, um, just like a surprise Starmie and he just wasn't able to play around it. Sometimes the, the sequence of the cards that you see can just be unideal. And like, if you have a twin energy that's not supposed to be there, it's just like sometimes not a lot you can do with, do about it. Um, but yeah, other than that, I just think that it's, it was definitely a, like, clearly was a great call for the event, but definitely kind of a, like, matchup roulette deck. There's just certain things on paper that you will not beat. Um, and if you avoid those, you did well. Um, mm -hmm. And if you don't, you might have done okay. And so um, David and I missed. Uh, David got, like, went, like, 5-3-1. I dropped it 4-3. and three. And um, Dean got top 32, Mace just in the top 128, I think, or something like that. And then Sander, of course, got top four and had a really good, really good top four series with Azul. Yeah, the top four was very reminiscent of Jason versus... Uh, yeah, Lord. Enrique yeah, yeah. Alvila. Avila? Yeah, yeah. It was very, very similar, right? Like, yeah. you know, you take one game and then... You make sure, I mean, Azul did not slow play at all. He just played the game out. <laughs> yeah, uh, you know, uh, uh, Azul had played him in like round 13, round 14. Yeah. And, and it had gone almost exactly the opposite. Sander won a very long game one, and then Azul won a fairly quick game two. 
and he won game two on like first turn of time. Oh wow, interesting. Uh, uh, so so uh, uh, yeah, Azul really uh, I I think reaped the benefits of he kind of fig- uh, he figured out that matchup a little bit over the yeah. course of playing it for an hour before his. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean. I still think that matchup was fine. Like Azul had, there's a lot of cards in like Azul's particular list, um, just like that none of the other RCSs are playing. Like the Crobat is really very annoying. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, like I think Sander, I mean, obviously there was a lot of luck involved, of course, too, but like I'm pretty sure Sander wins game three untimed very easily. And even something too, and this is something that like Mace said to me, if like the games, if the games had happened in a different order, like say that, Game one is the game that Azul prizes the Phoebe. Like he might have, he might have scooped that game early or something. He might, he might have decided, or you know, especially two after taking four prizes, just like the dark energy and it being at the very top. Um, you know, had that game happened first or something like that, then obviously this is kind of an empty statement. I'm not really trying to make a point or anything like that, but just more trying to say that like I think the matchup was fine, even even though Azul like uh, had a lot of good cards against it. Um, but yeah, obviously, I mean, obviously, I think this is a concern with any control deck is that the top players are going to play perfectly against you. And so there's a lot of just like bad player slip ups you can count on just like running into people in Swiss. But like, you know, go watch Bukhari versus Sander on stream or, you know, had we hit Tord. And I mean, personally, this was something I was worried about all day is that I'm, I'm going to punt against a good player who's playing well mm-hmm. um, and things like that. I, I do wonder... So for game three, for those of you that didn't watch the top four match, game three, they had about a little less than 10 minutes left. And Azul's top right or top left prize card that he put down was his Phoebe. So in theory, if Sander has this information, he just plays Miltank and pretty not not 100% wins the game because Azul has Crobat, but pretty much can just win the game with just Miltank. Um and he started Milk Tank. And so I wonder, as Sander, if you ever just play for that out, like how, what is your other option to win a game three like that? And, and Brittany, yeah, that's that's a big mystery. And again, it's definitely like, you know, arm being like an armchair, like critic, you can never understand what, it, what it's like playing on, on stream during, you know, when the stakes are that high, like, could have just been like a little slip up but yeah i mean especially even two while they're shuffling we're just like okay and and phoebe has to be fraught prize like that's the only thing that's the only way we can win this game and we you know we just uh, lose it of course when it just happens um but yeah and he even you know and he's opening the mill tank um but yeah i don't i don't know why you know i don't know what his sort of line was to try to, to try to win um that even if Phoebe was or wasn't proud, I think you just had to play with it and just like let the RCS kill you by attaching a second energy and uh, using the V-Star ability for the Phoebe. I'm like, I, I think that's the only way you win a prize is just like, okay, no Phoebe. And I, I'm just going to do, a, I'm going to route every turn until I can finally knock something out. Ideally it would be like a bit for something like that. But like, I don't, I don't think Azul would have ever played into that situation. Um, yeah. But, yeah, yeah, I mean, that, that never works out, right? You might as well just be like, well, let, let me assume it's Crobat VMAX's prize and get up the Mewtwo and just roll. Right, right. Yeah, I don't, <laughs> I don't, I don't understand <laughs> one way or the other. I'm sure Sander had um, had a good thought as to why or just like maybe it, it doesn't super matter at the end of the day. Just like, I don't know. 
or maybe I mean I think I think the most reasonable reasonable thing I I had heard was just that he thought there was more time something like that just was not acutely aware of the exact time that was left and just like maybe there was a line in there that he could have he could have made it work somehow um, but I'm not sure and again uh, top cut has obviously a huge has always been a problem for these decks um, yeah to to ever win like I don't think we've ever seen control still really win a big tournament plenty of them make top eight you know but Sableye hammers, doll control, the doll stall floor just things like do well, but always seem to just like because they don't take prizes, the way the inherent rules of the game just makes it all the more harder, all the more difficult to win in top cut. Yeah, I, I know you were talking about the uh, the core loop for that deck, uh, Britt. There, there was one game in day two I was watching Dean play and his opponent after the game was like, you know, I thought about uh, scooping uh, right, right as you got the loop engaged, but uh, Dean flipped four straight tails. And the guy was like, you know what? I'm just going to wait a couple <laughs> turns and see how it goes. <laughs> yeah, the casters were talking about it a little bit because, I mean, what else are you going to talk about during right. control? Um, and kind of like theorizing what is the breaking point of how many tails you can have before it gets really awkward. And I'm sure... I don't know if you guys talked about this, Britt. They they figured like seven or eight was kind of like if you get seven or eight tails on Silene in a row, that's when things start looking bad. Yeah, and like it, it just it really shouldn't matter. Like I I did have one game where I I I I won on time, but I I had I I rolled myself out of the loop. I like was going to lose if. Um, if it went on because it, it was just like awkward. Like I had a pal pad prized and I was out of Peonia and I was just like, I oh, well, uh, just, what are you going to do? And I got like four tails in a row and I was just like, mm, all right. And then time was called. And so it was okay. <laughs> yeah. I guess like I didn't do too well. Someone obviously I don't like I knew going in and I, like these events really are that hard, especially with the deck like this It's just like, okay, you got, you have like one freebie bad matchup. Um, and then you play perfectly from there on out. And I'm just like, ah, I'm not going to do that. I was really very impressed with my play, though. I think I, there's only like one game that I screwed up. But unfortunately, that was on top of getting bad matchups. And so my story ends there. But like, so here, here's an example of, so my round one, I played against like Arceus Fire. But it was just like, it was war like calling it Arceus just fire is a is just an insult to Alex Kreckler and uh, <laughs> Alex Shemansky like playing playing that deck it was like just a hot mess and so so what happened is that he was playing this like chandelure that gives your fire Pokemon no weakness and like it's all you can kill Miltanks with it too I guess <laughs> um but yeah and so it was like a, a really big mess and like it was funny because I like I benched a mill tank or I started with it and it just clearly sent shivers down his spine because he was playing so poorly to kill it. And I just like went out of his way to boss KO it, and I just like wasn't even in the active position. And I'm just like, all right, thanks. <laughs> your heat rant, your heat rant is going to kill it literally whenever you want it. But feel free <laughs> to knock it out now. Um, and so I was actually in a decent position to like because he hadn't been powering up the heat ran. My hammer flips had been decent. And I was like okay, this is all I have to do. I'm just going to, I'm going to Mewtwo now and I'm going to play 16 damage counters on it next turn to kill it and, and hope I can get there with Mewtwo because he had just been like discarding really poorly. And like, it was looking fine. I was looking like I might be able to deck him out just 
playing against uh, just like subpar player or what have you. But and then out of nowhere, the chandelier comes down. And so the <laughs> chandelier also, it has an attack. It's just like fire colorless for like 110 and you're confused. And I was just, and I didn't have, I didn't have my parasol. I like didn't know I would need it. Um, and so, yeah, that was just like a, a hot mess of a deck that is going to, going to beat Mewtwo V Union very badly because it has Miltank answers and the heat rank can one shot the V Union. Um, and then I also too, I mean, I guess also like we've said, like you you wanted the, the point of the deck was to hit Palkia and Teleon and Arceus and Teleon all day. I did not hit any Arceus and Teleon and I only hit one. Palkia and Teleon. I did hit, I played Arceus Duraldon and I beat it very easily. Um, I beat like a Zoro, like um, Zoro box, uh, Wormadam sort of thing. And like that one was really easy because I don't take knockouts. So they're just never doing enough damage. <laughs> and I just looks like, okay, I'm going to take six prizes in one turn. You're not going to, you can't do anything about it. Um, I also took six prizes against the Palkia deck too. And that's always a lot of fun. Nice. Um, and then I had I had a good series against Mew where I like it wasn't drawing ideally and Mew is Mew is hard if they know what they're doing and they just like you you're just psychically leaping with your tablets to make sure you have energy in deck to just like sort of keep playing the the tempo and like when you're far behind and like the deck always you you always played around Echoing Horn if you could but like when you're when your tempo is awkward and you're drawing awkward it just makes it even harder. Um, and it kind of, I like flipped very well in the matchup for sure, but it came down to like a double flip turn where it beat me, but I made a mistake where I like, I had a really cool Evatol play, um, by Silening and energy on top. And, and then I needed to, uh, Puma Q pitch for it. And I actually, I just wasn't thinking and brain farted and Silened before I had searched for the Pokemon and just like, I think would have definitely won. I would have like knocked three energy off the board while he had still only had a couple of prizes left and eh, it is what it is you know like I, I should have played better but at the same time I like I didn't have enough time to practice I knew I wasn't gonna play it uh all that well and then I hit Ben Sock playing Bron playing Dialga with Bronzong and baby baby Dialga and like we didn't even really play I like played the first couple turns and I just like I can beat the, I think I can beat the Bronzong I think I I, I don't think what I see the Bronzong are gonna do enough I can I can handle this and then he plays the baby dial go down and I'm just like I scoop and you get the series <laughs> like I'm just like nothing I can do but everyone else did well relatively speaking and like I don't know like this is something Brett and I talked about it's like you should have played it out and I'm just like I'm enjoying the privilege of not having to play it out when I'm when I need points I will but as I don't need points, I will go back to my hotel room. <laughs> after, after Worlds, we're gonna we'll be on the grind. It's gonna be oh, yeah. It was an awesome deck. It was really. I feel like every time you got the V Union EV Union in play, the whole table was looking at you. All the judges were calling their friends over. Take a look at this. So I like sort of felt like I stumbled into the part of being part of the story of the tournament, which was really awesome. <laughs> yeah. But as I said before. I was, I, I ordered most of the cards. I like fat was able to find like a local game store and I was looking all over because we needed a ton of cards. And I just given my experience in Milwaukee, I, I knew that um, I just wasn't going to rely on vendors. I'm like, they're not going to have anything. And I was looking and looking and looking and just, you know, don't have time for TCG player found a, found a game store in like in the Atlanta area that just happened to have like not only a ton of Mewtwo's, but like the Flannery's and the cooks 
And I, I made an order and my friend Ahmed from Georgia picked up all the cards from me. And it was like one of those things too, where it was like, can't stop you, you know, from looking at the cards. Um, I trust you and you're welcome to, but like, we're trying to keep this quiet if possible. And he, he looked at it and was like, I got no idea what's going on here. <laughs> it's the Sander deck. I, I assume it's, I assume it's genius, but yeah. I mean, I guess, I guess that's just kind of a funny part too, is that like there are a lot of what they're, the Dutch friends are joking about is kind of the the bias that we have in, you know, being Americans and things like that, that all Europeans are the same or that like only Sander could have come up as a stack. And I think it really ended up being more Mace than Sander at, at the end of the day. And just like similarly, like there was that one instance, I think of Liverpool where there's like a single person playing Deoxys in their Mew list. And, but like Pokestats said, just like all the Europeans are doing it. And so just kind of like making, making those sorts of jokes. Um, which is good because I do think we as Americans are often very sort of ne nearsighted in how we perceive the rest of the world in um, in general, but also in sort of Pokemon and things like that. So, so how many instances did you have, particularly in like the first two or three rounds? There was a senior who was playing Mewtwo V Union. He was playing like an attacking build. Uh, obviously, he did poorly. Start with that. He did he did very poorly, but like. Round one, as parents, we knew there was something going on because literally every senior judge walked over and picked up this kid's cards and looked at them. <laughs> <laughs> and like there were there were like two judges that stood there and watched all of round one because they had no idea what was going on. How many like judge interactions did you have in the first round or two? Anything? Not, not any. I actually don't think I. I think I really only had one less like hands-on judge moment the entire day. And I, I, I called him on myself against, against the mute player where I like, I had, I had trekking shoes and just like had act, had already seen, I like went straight to discard the other card. And I was just like, I, I was holding them both. And I was just, I was not explicit about what I was doing. And I, frankly, I don't know what I was going to do, but I just called the judge and it's like, I've seen both cards. So like, you know, here's what happened, but now like, well, I not. I think early in the early rounds, it was either round one, my my great opponent, just knew what the cards did, which I think will <laughs> speak more to him and his deck. Um, and then round two, you know, some of the other rounds, I just think people assumed I was bad. You know, just like hey, look at this, this just this scrub playing random cards. <laughs> um, but yeah, for the most part, at least in my games, people were just. Uh, they would read the card here and there, but like it seemed to know what the mechanic did. Like I didn't even I didn't know going into the you know going lead dri driving up to Columbus. I didn't I don't know I don't remember when I learned that it came out of the discard. It's something definitely something I learned in the last week. <laughs> um, it was really funny watching. Uh, I think it was Justin versus Sander. Was that the first yeah, time yeah, we like round two, round three? Dude, yeah, Justin. Two or three. Justin read that card, the Mewtwo card, like seven times in that match. He kept, <laughs> he kept picking like the pieces up and reading it. Like it was so funny. Uh, the thing that Liam had to explain to me, and I still don't understand, is that like that that's considered an evolved Pokemon. The V Union is. It is. There you go, Mike. Is that's it really? I just Pokemon. thought it was considered not a basic Pokemon. Yeah, I think they lump everything into evolved. It's not oh, like everything not basic is just considered evolved. I think so. Hmm. Uh, I mean, I guess this is a this is the answer to the question. Like, 
if you get attacked by something that says like you can't be hit by basic Pokemon, this thing can hit you. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's definitely. And if it says you can't be hit by evolved Pokemon, apparently this thing cannot hit you. I'm not sure about that second. Oh, really? I agree with the first one. Okay. No, I, I know you can incense for the card, so it's considered evolved. Whoa, whoa, whoa. What? You can incense for the card? Wait, wait. Let me read incense real quick. <laughs> evolution incense. Search your deck for an evolution Pokemon. Hmm. Okay. All right. This is something to explore. Explore. I'll trust you right now, but maybe I'll I'll, I'll test it out on PTCGO <laughs> if I can get YouTube units. <laughs> um, one. Oh, my only comment on the deck that I is like a advancing the conversation. Um, all of other Sanders control decks this year, and more generally as well, but just taking his couple different ones that he played this year. I feel like this deck will have the biggest impact on the metagame, not just because of the result, but because it's way, way more straightforward than the other ones. Now I'm not saying it's easy to play like Brit and you or anything like that, but the strategy is much more obvious and so someone that like wants to play control, they can look at it. They can be like, okay, I understand the goal of the deck. Let me learn how to play the matchups where he's like his first one or he got like second in Liverpool. I look at that and I'm like, that is just 60 random cards. I don't know what to do ever with that, but this is streamlined enough that I feel like people will play it. Yeah. And I think we've talked similarly about the UIC list as well. That one being sort of like a little more clear, like what you're doing and what the lines are and things like that. But yeah, I mean, I, I don't think this deck is too hard. I mean, I, I think I picked it up fairly quickly and got a lot of like good testing in um, leading up to it and where I was just like playing super poorly and got really good judgmental looks. Just like, what are you doing? And I'm just like, I do not know. I'm bad. <laughs> they, they helped me through it and learn it. That sort of trial by fire. Um yeah, I don't think it's terribly hard. You just it's just something you you have to pay. You just have to really look at what's in your prizes and what's in your deck and figure out like how you're gonna make it work um, and how to make you know weave peonias in where you can. And I even had the I even won a game in the kind of like dreaded scenario of just like okay, what happens when you prize a Mewtwo piece and miss on your first peonia? Turns out it doesn't really matter. You've usually got a ton of time. Like as long as you get the combo out on like the last turn and they can't echo horn you for game like it really doesn't matter when the Mewtwo comes out like it can come out earlier but like a lot of the time it doesn't come out until you, you have that like ideal five card deck or pretty small deck with with the loop guaranteed and just whatever handful, handful of cards you haven't been able to discard yet and I guess too like one of the main things they talked a lot about or Sandra talked several times about the EUIC list and just sort of you know really stressed how how much if they had had me out at that tournament that it would have been a completely different deck and that that was just like the key ingredient that was missing from mm. the EUIC list just more thinning more ways to just get to the loop you know yeah. your win condition faster um and seeing that here and you know just being able to actualize it but yeah it's really pretty easy you just you you burn you just go for as big of a gourmandize as you can virtually every turn and like <laughs> often that's just like you waste nets, you you or or you bench Pokemon you don't need to with the intention to net them later and then discard them. Sometimes some get sometimes in testing or in games, like you have two meows in play and you're discarding both, you know, you're you're discarding a lot of cards at once. 
Um, but yeah, it's like, it's something I think you pick up fairly quickly. Like, I don't think you're going to play it right on, on the first pass, but conceptually, I think it's fairly simple and just like, yeah, just like getting to this point of like, okay, like what are the exact cards I need need to win or need in my deck right now? And it's just, it isn't, it isn't a whole lot more than, um, just all the combo pieces. It's just like all of Mewtwo, two psychics in the discard, one more energy after that. Um, and then both probably both Silene's, a Yell Grunt, Yell Cheer, and Palpad. And then after that, it really doesn't matter. The rest are just like kind of gravy in a lot of the scenarios. Like Mew, Mew is probably like the only matchup where um, you just always kind of need to be thinking because you don't like, and again, take what I just said um, and just remove the Mewtwo in certain pieces. It's the same deck, but sometimes Mill Tank is just all you need. Right. Um, then yeah, so like I like I was saying, like I beat I was explaining like dark as an example of like not having good counters. I beat the dark ride that I played, like it was close, but like kind of things were always happening in the way they should. So it like felt pretty easy, I would say. Like my opponent realized too quickly, which I guess made me nervous that he could kill his own Moltres to turn on the baby Moltres. And like <laughs> that ended up being kind of stressful, but like that's really the only line they have. And like I said too, like he tried attacking me with Hoopa, and it's just like you're just wasting your own cards, buddy. I bo- I bet the uh, the stadium from the Go set's actually really insane in that deck. What does it do? I'm not sure I'm familiar with that one off the top of my head. It's uh, reveal the top three cards of your deck on any items put into your hand. Take right? any items and discard the other cards. I think. Yeah. Yeah. That seems really, really nuts. It's pro- it's definitely better than Rose Tower because it's just straight up draw, yeah, draw, three. Three. draw three, right? Yeah. So I, I, uh, Mike, I had, a, I had one comment on kind of your you talked about kind of the evolution of the the standard deck, and obviously you're right. Like the Zoroark deck was totally lunacy, yeah. and then uh, uh, the EUIC deck was uh, you know Umbreon stall was a like more linear deck and then this is it more linear still so i don't did you hear the story about michael catron playing umbreon stall at milwaukee i saw that he did i don't yeah. really know much beyond that so i i thought this was I, I think this this is i think interesting about how obviously uh brit's team evolved like they're thinking a little bit so he played umbreon stall and basically he sat down every game and he said are you playing cross switchers and the guy said, yes, he said, show me a cross switcher in your deck. And then he scooped. <laughs> <laughs> so he went, he went five, three, one. He lost to two decks that played cross switchers where he insta scooped. And then he lost to a Dialga deck. Nice. That's uh, but, but like we heard about that. And as you guys know, I was a big fan of, of that deck and, and all stall decks in general. And like, obviously I think everybody thought going in an AIC, uh, Palkia decks playing switchers were going to be a bigger part of the meta than they'd been in Milwaukee, right? Yeah. Like that was going to be, that went from a thing a bunch of people were doing to how people played Palkia at NAIC. So, so you looked at that and you said, oh, well, that's not going to be a thing people can play at NAIC, even though Michael did pretty well with it. Yeah. yeah. And, and like this deck you know, uh, it, it has the same walling effect that Umbreon has, but without the need for switches. So so it kind of cheeses around the growth in cross switchers, which is uh, uh, super, super smart. 
Yeah, I guess to talk about like Milwaukee for a second is that I did I did poorly at Milwaukee with Palkia Chinchino, and I thought we were onto something there because like the Antelion list hasn't really started playing crosswitchers yet, and I thought like, hey, like you know, more mace than me, but I, I did put a lot of testing into this one um, going into the event, and just like I thought it was one step ahead of the curve with the, the crosswitchers, but it just like that tempo drizzle is better but I, I felt really vindicated like Bert uh Wolters Wolters did what got top 128 in AIC with like the same 60 that I played and I just did like so bad I, I didn't see I didn't open VIP pass in like a single game like also lost a Mew on flips blah 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 but like you know that was definitely like okay I, I feel like my sentiment for the deck building was right here I just like was stubborn and should have still just played Inteleon instead but I, I do feel like that week we were like we were ahead on Arita. We were ahead on cross switchers and like, I haven't, I haven't been ahead on metagame calls in a while. So like that felt good, <laughs> especially a lot of it, at least in the Chinchino deck. Some of those decisions were uh, motivated by me, but Milwaukee was, I, I ran into other troubles in Milwaukee with my deck list that won't go into, but I was robbed unfairly. <laughs> yeah. That, you know what? Yeah. Yeah. Just go on uh, Brit's Twitter. If you want to see some like, uh, highway robbery it, it is uh it is a wild uh, wild stuff i got beef that's all i got to say yeah <laughs> yeah uh um uh before we wrap it up because I, I recognize we've been going for like a little over an hour i i did want to i want to put my son on the the mic for two seconds to talk about his run because i think uh so brit brit introduced us to uh mewtwo v union and, and what i kept saying to liam was if you never see sander play the deck it's hard for me to imagine you picking up the deck like the day before the tournament and, and getting on the grind. Like we got it. We got to like be in on the secret. And uh, uh, I feel like we were never able to like, we just didn't, we either didn't commit fast enough, like wholeheartedly to it, or we just got on it a little too late. I think it was more like we got on a little too late to feel comfortable making the switch. Uh, uh, Liam had played Dialga at Milwaukee and uh, it went, Poorly, poorly, poorly. <laughs> and, and uh, but, but so Liam had been working on, and I know Mike and Britt had played a million games with him. We talked a little about it on this like kind of Arceus counterbox deck. And, and finally, I, I think after Milwaukee, he was like, if I don't play this deck, then if I play another deck where I regret choosing that deck, I'll be like, why didn't I play that deck? So, so he kind of locked in and things ended, things ended okay. Five to one. So Liam, Talk to us a little about your deck and, and your adventure, because I, I feel like we should we should get this down on the pod for posterity. Uh, I made a tour post about it. I think it's really good. It's, I mean, like, matchups. Elk is really shaky, and, like, for something else, like, the BDIF going in, it's bad to think, like, a shaky matchup. Even, even if it's not, like, super unfavored, like, having it be a struggle, like, almost every round you play um, is, isn't amazing, but... I, I literally played only good matchups and like I think every game was winnable. I, I just misplayed myself out of the game. Like the deck is really hard to play. You have to hit a lot of pieces. Right? So like, trying to hit tell tell people what the deck is for 30 seconds first. Don't, okay. you, don't jump in the middle. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Um it's like um it's like an RCS box thing. I cut the RCS line down to a two one, one Sharon's, one DTE. And um and I'm, I'm, I'm playing Moltres, a two one Luxray, and a Zero Aura. Those are like mainly the attackers with an Atelion engine. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I've been able. I, I was able to skinny down a lot of the lines, I think, and still keep like the favorable matchups for for most of the most of these decks, right? Like 
Reggie, Dark and Telly on box. Even with the, the tiny Arceus line, I was still able to auto it, like, I mean, really consistently. Uh, <laughs> I had two Dark and Telly on boxes and a Reggie, and against both of them, like, uh, throughout the entirety of games, I was like, oh, Arceus is my worst matchup. Of course I have to hit Arceus. It's awful, right? Like, I'm just Sharon's, Palpad Sharon's, and I get, like, three free prizes. Um, so, and, and against Mew, I... I didn't hit a really good Mew player, but I was able to take like four VMAXs and like eight turns. I only hit one Mew. But yeah, I was able to use the Moltres. And just like one Moltres using Ordinary Rod and Clara Palpad, you're able to get like four attacks off, which is usually enough. I think the Eldegoss Ordinary Rod combo is something that like all of these Dark Italian boxes or like anything playing Baby Moltres should be playing because it lets you open up, it opens you up to being able to get the Moltres back, attack, and play a different supporter, which is good for either like just uh, like resetting your hand with like ambition or something, right? Like if you get rock sand, you can like uh, drizzle ambition, fill your hand, and still be able to attack without having to go into Kara. Um, it lets you boss and get it back. Like it, it just lets you play like an extra supporter once a game um, instead of having to use Kara. So, so I think like almost all of those matchups are good. The the only matchup that's bad is uh, Palkia, and Pal Palkia is okay, right? Because you can just you you keep calling for Shanks which is really good. And then you're able to ambition the next turn. That's the thing that I was, I really didn't like about all of these like Dark Intellion box decks, right? Uh, all of these boxes using Zero Aura and Raikou, like trying to hit Raihan turn two to attack is really awful. Like it just sets you on a really bad pace for the game because you never play a draw supporter like the entire game. And that's pretty bad. So I, I wanted to find a one energy attacker and I tried Luxray. It was okay. <laughs> which which Lux... Luxury, the one that does 50 times. Yeah, yeah. It, it makes Blissey really favorable as well because you can Arceus with them, but I overextended against Blissey and break myself. So. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, one thing that one thing that I thought a lot about as, as Liam was building his deck, and, and it's interesting, this speaks to uh, one of the things we were talking about earlier, uh, um, the new heavy ball is really, really nice. Because it lets you pay, play these thinner lines and not get punished for it, right? Yeah. I mean, if you want to play like a one-one tech as as like a counterbox thing, it just becomes so much more reasonable. Like I think every, every when people complain about prizes, like that's what they complain about when they complain about like Pokemon having this concept of prizes is like being punished by randomness. And and heavy ball kind of decreases the randomness punishment, which is really nice. But but also, Mike, to the point we made earlier. There's no heavy ball in the Mewtwo list because you can't heavy ball for Mew pieces. Right. <laughs> <laughs> there you go, people. It's crazy. Um, any other uh, any other games or matchups or anything you should talk about? So what were your two losses, both Palkia? I lost one to Palkia and one to Blissey. Oh, Blissey, Blissey, right, right, right. And, and what, what happened in the Palkia game? I know you said Palkia is your toughest matchup. So why, why play a deck where Palkia is the toughest matchup in a tournament where Palkia is the most popular deck? Because it's really good against everything else. And, like, the Palkia matchup isn't unwinnable. It's, like, it's solid. It's okay. Um, I, like, yeah, it's, you just, you just have to respond to a lot of regression really fast. I think that's the one takeaway that I, I think coming out of this tournament I had which is like when you're playing a single prize deck to answer Palkia, you have to find Manaphy turn one along with all your other pieces and not lose a cross switcher. And it's really, really difficult. So I think, I think going forward and looking to world, I want to play something that has like lightning bees or something like that, 
where I don't just lose to Greninja and like put that extra pressure on myself to find Manaphy. Yeah. Um, but like the Palkia matchup is fine. Like assuming you hit everything, being able to keep going with Shinx is amazing, right? Like if you open Salvi, just like level one Manaphy and you're like completely set up. Um, yeah. And to be fair, like Palkia is pretty much everything's worst matchup. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so it's probably fine. <laughs> yeah. It, it, it wasn't that bad, but I, yeah, f- finding the Luxray turn two, even with Ambition, I, th- I think it's better than walking yourself into Raihan turn two, which is just awful. Um, it can still be difficult because one of your Drithals goes to Ambition, and then finding like this three piece combo where you only play like a couple of each, right? So you have to draw like two of the pieces raw and then use the last Drizzile to, to find the third is like really rough, right? You play two Candy, Luxray, two Lightning, finding all of those pieces, like you, you have to draw two of those raw off the Ambition. Uh, or you miss an attack, which can just be pretty difficult. But I mean, it's, it's not that bad. Like usually, you start with one in your hand, and you can draw the other off the ambition. Because like if it's not in your hand, it's usually like you're usually able to fill your bench because there's literally nothing else in the deck. So uh, were there were there any times when you didn't try to energy crush people, or did um, you energy crush everyone? Like uh, what do you what do you mean by that? Like when I use the second attack. Yeah, yeah. If they, or, or no, I, I mean, just in general, like, were there were there games where you didn't get the Luxray out? Yeah, um, or like, I mean, I, I, against like most X-ray, like the the deck kind of is built like I don't know. I I build a lot of counterbox decks because for me those are like very easy to build, right? Like you have a deck and then you or like if there's a deck you struggle with, you just go to like the typing and look through all the dark cards or something, <laughs> right? Um, so so like the deck is built. To have like a strategy for each of the main decks and don't look at like the other parts of the decks um other parts of the deck in each of those matchups right like against dark tell box against uh and reggie you literally just look to the rc's pieces right like the luxury is not a terrible attacker in those matchups but like you set up the rcs that's your like number one priority and you basically just win right right again something like um like meal <laughs> benching the rcs is actually how you lose um or like um what, what, what am I saying at this point? Yeah. Against like something like Meal, you literally just look to the pieces, right? Like you don't look to like those other parts of the deck. Um, right. And it, it, it's it's just a counter box, right? Like you use like specific attackers for specific matchups and don't really look at the other attackers. Like the Elixir is not terrible in those matchups, right? Like it's usually a good chip. If like they, they walk right into it because they don't know what Elixir it does, it's cool. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, so so Liam was testing with Israel Sosa before the tournament, and and he goes like double shinks, and and Israel's immediately like boss kill shinks, and when he does it, he's like, I have no idea what this does, so uh... <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna hedge my bets here. <laughs> I'm gonna assume it's good and kill it. Exactly, exactly. He's like, I assume you're getting this out for some reason. I don't know what these cards do. <laughs> That's funny. Um, yeah, and it, that was another funny thing, uh, funny takeaway I had was like, if a, against like a really solid meta deck, you can just play like a, a basic to some stage two and just bench it. And like, it, if it has good typing or whatever, and they assume it's like your counter and they have like no clue what it does. And it like, it becomes like a distraction away from all your other cards. Probably not worth playing, but like, it, it is funny how everybody was like super scared of the Shanks, um, <laughs> especially like Palkia. Like, you play it down and they, they're like, or yeah. do I have to kill it? Baiting, baiting your opponent's bosses is always very a very powerful feeling. I did I did that in my like Mew series. I just like uh, he's gonna go out of he's gonna overextend to kill this Evatol. It's gonna scare him. I'm just gonna pinch it and hope that happens. And lo and behold, exactly, exactly. People just jump right into it. 
And then the other the other story, and Liam Liam told this on uh, Twitter, but I, I thought it was funny. Was he said the only the only person that knew what Luxray did uh, over the weekend as he was meeting people and talking with them about the deck was was Sander. Yeah, <laughs> of course. Exactly. Exactly. So so uh, yeah, if you're if you're wondering who has the encyclopedic knowledge of the most obscure cards in the meta, there you go, people. <laughs> Anything else we should talk about before we uh, call it a week, guys? Uh, we're sending cards out, right? We are sending cards out. Um, uh, yeah. So I've built. I've built. Uh, I, I cracked as committed. I cracked that astral radiance uh, box. We have pulled together two super uh, janky decks that that are the absolute best of uh, one random astral radiance box. We also uh, um, cut the worst cards and threw in some ultra balls because Liam was like, we, have <laughs> we should just make this deck less stinky. And uh, um, and then we're going to throw in a bunch of sleeves and stuff like that and throw it all together in a care package. We have two seven-year-olds that are just getting into the game. We're going to hook them up with an army of cards. Sweet. Yeah. Super, Sweet. super nice notes. Are you feeling better? Britt, it was great to see you, man. Both weekends are really awesome. I'm, I'm glad I uh, can rest a little bit and don't have too much traveling left. And like, was really wavering back and forth on am I going to do world? Am I am I not? I'm definitely just like ah, I'm, not, I'm just not messing with it. <laughs> it'll be a good time, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and, and hopefully they'll start publishing the schedule uh, as soon and like getting back on that train because I think they look and they say they must say all these regionals went okay. We can just like publish a schedule and get back on the train, right? <laughs> yeah, we'll see. I'm interested to see what, what's happening with like the rotation and whether that's maybe indicative of like other kinds of restructuring. Yeah. Um, I, I'm also interested in whether like uh, if they keep the same social distancing like philosophy they should uh, we have so much more space it's, it's so like, awesome i know it must be like a little more expensive or maybe a lot more expensive but i love it so much yeah it's just comfortable i mean even even before regardless of like germ spreading protocols like I, we've all we've all played a, a regional or a nationals or something where you just like you're jam-packed in a table with three people and some idiot with two a giant playmat is like genuinely encroaching on your space and things like that like Right. Never again. All right. Good times, guys. All right, guys. Peace. Take it easy. Bye. Thank you.